Hello, and welcome to Living Literally, the podcast for readers, writers, and those that teach them. I'm your host, Tahima Noel. Each month, I will be bringing you a different book club selection that we will be reading together, kind of like a podcast book club. The book will be explored over two episodes. The first will focus on writing tips I gathered from the book. The second will focus on a close reading of the book. Both episodes will feature tips for use in your classroom. Let's dive in. Okay, so you may have noticed there's been a bit of restructure to this podcast, and I wanted to speak to that at the start of this episode. So we still will have two episodes for each book. There still will be monthly books from now on. (laughs) And one is just going to focus on writing, basically the craft of the writing that the author does and how that could translate to your own writing if you are one of my author listeners. And how you can teach writing from the book in your English classroom. Then the other one will focus on reading and close reading and the ways that you can use that book in a classroom as well in terms of reading instruction. So episode one, I'm usually going to focus on the writing because you can talk about craft without giving anything away and that gives my listeners more time to read um, before I start talking spoiler. Uh, But because I didn't do that for this book yet, that's what this episode will be about. But in the future, the writing episode will come first and then the reading episode. So updates on me and my writing. I did not complete NaNoWriMo. I honestly got lost in working two jobs and just some personal issues coming up in my family Um, and just the holidays. So November and December really flew by for me. Um, A lot of things got pushed to the side, including this podcast and my writing, but I am settling into a routine with writing my book as well as working on this podcast now. So you're going to be hearing from me back to two times a month again, and I'll have more writing updates every episode. So this episode, I will be focusing on some writing exercises you can do as an author or teachers can share with their students. Following that, I'll be announcing January's book. Stay right there. I'll be right back. From David Portman's Springville Massacre, The Legend of Maddie Washington, page 12. Ask anyone from Springville about prom night. Jaws go slack, eyes hollow with regret before muttering the same excuse. They never saw it coming. They were blindsided. It's what they tell themselves at night, searching for the comfort of self-soothing lies when all along it was right in front of them, a sleeping volcano waiting to erupt. Weeks after that fateful night, people started putting their story together. Looking back, Maddie had the worst attendance record of any student in her class, her absences all aligning with huge thunderstorms or high Sundays. Never went to camp or swimming in the lake like the rest of the kids in town. She wore long sleeves, even in the dead of summer, with wide-brimmed hats and stockings. 
When questioned about Maddie's absences, Mr. Washington reported that she had lupus and the weather gave her severe migraines. No one questioned it. No one questioned a thing. A little over an hour outside of Atlanta, at the butt of the Chattahoochee National Forest, sits Springville, population during its glory days upward of 1,100. You pass miles of farmland, truck stops, and fast food chains before reaching its center, a quaint main street of mom-and-pop-owned businesses, storefronts, family practices, and a popular pizza parlor. Springville was once a thriving industrial hub, true to its Bible Belt roots. Friday night lights during football season, Thanksgiving Day parades, Christmas carolers, Easter egg hunts, and debutante balls. The all-American dream. But hidden away from progressive cities, Springville was also the type of town where racism was passed down like family jewels. The kind with value. The kind auctioned on TV shows. The CDX freight line runs diagonally through the town, splitting it in two, east and west. The east side, the predominantly black and Hispanic population. The west side, mostly white, with the exception of a few black families, along with a division for the upper crust and old southern money. When the power plant was still operational, trains made frequent stops. Now, the arm at the railroad crossing only comes down twice a day. Train operators call it a dead zone. No one stops in Springville except ghosts. Pages 44 through 46. Maddie Did It, Episode 2, White Prom versus Black Prom. Tanya, Mike, you'll be pleased to know that I've been doing my own research. Michael, okay, let's hear it. Tanya, It was bothering me, you know, all that talk about some mysterious sound that made kids dizzy. Their symptoms sounded familiar. So I did a little digging and found the perfect explanation. I'm going to play something for you and why I want to know what you hear. Ready? Listen. Michael. Uh, don't hear anything. Tanya. Right. Because you are over the age limit that it would affect. I just played a high-pitched noise that neither you nor I would notice because we do not fall between the ages of 13 and 21. Michael, I'm not following. Tanya, it's an acoustic deterrent device, a technology originally invented to keep animals away from a designated area until they realized it worked on humans, and not just any humans, kids. It targets that specific age group whose hearing hasn't deteriorated due to age. And guess who usually uses it? Michael. I don't know. Who? Tanya. Military and or law enforcement. It's been reportedly used at protests to drive kids away. It's also used at playgrounds to keep kids from fraternizing late at night. Some have reported that it sounds like a high-pitched dog whistle. Others say it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's a sonic weapon. Michael, so you're saying the high-pitched noise was made on purpose? Why? And why pick Springville of all places? Tanya, naturally due to the rising racial tensions in the surrounding areas. I believe law enforcement was trying to control kids before the town lost control. If there were protests around prom, they probably used it there too. And given the proximity to the power plant, it makes sense they'd want to secure it. Michael, narration. The Springville Power Plant is a nuclear power station that sits just west of the town center on the bank of the Chattahoochee Reservoir. 
Built in 1954, it powered the majority of Upper Georgia, providing hundreds of jobs. But two weeks before prom night, the plant abruptly shut down, and all employees were let go with three months severance. The official reason was cited as increasingly frequent issues with the aging reactors and ongoing environmental concerns. However, after the commission report revealed what happened that night, the people of Springville believed the real reason had everything to do with Maddie. Pages 49 through 51. Fox 5, Georgia, school under fire after video showing students throwing pencils in black girl's hair. Cell phone footage depicts a white student throwing pencils into a black girl's hair as other classmates laugh. It happened in the Springville School District this past Thursday. The video was first posted on Twitter, then on Facebook. Since then, there have been more than a million views. Parents were sent a note to reassure them that the incident was under investigation, but weren't given any more details on the matter. Fox 5 reached out to district administrators who declined to comment, but sent a statement. The privacy of students is of the utmost importance. We will not discuss those involved or how the school will handle the situation. But parents in neighboring communities believe that no disciplinary actions will take place and that the issue will be swept under the rug. One parent, Rhonda Richburg, had some choice words. In a town that holds segregated proms, I'm not surprised one bit they bullied that girl. Page 68. Today's writing tips will be focused on epistolaries. Epistolaries are traditionally any novel that is written in the form of letters. Famous examples include The Color Purple by Alice Walker, Persuasion by Jane Austen, and popular children's books like Harriet the Spy or The Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. These books are often diaries, but could also be letters written back and forth between a group of people. Epistolary novels are a popular format, the earliest one being love letters between a nobleman and his sister. I honestly hope it's not as salacious as it sounds, but it was published a mere 80 years after the first known novel, Don Quixote. So this form of writing has been popular since novels first existed. Epistolaries lost some of their popularity at the turn of the 19th century. However, they are back with a vengeance now, with not only books written as diaries, but also email threads, text messages, and other forms of cyber communication. Epistolary has also enveloped books like this one. When the author intersperses their story with articles, newspaper clippings, letters, and excerpts from other books, you are reading an epistolary novel. So yes, because of Lady Whistledown, the Bridgerton series is considered epistolary. Why am I focusing on this? What's impressive about the way Jackson uses epistolary is that she doesn't just stick to one. In the excerpts I read to you, there is an excerpt from a fictional nonfiction book about the incidents of this novel, a couple of clips from a podcast that explores the events of this novel, imaginary newspaper articles about the events that just happened in the book, and an excerpt from Maddie's mother's diary. This means that Jackson is dabbling with multiple different narrative voices to give this story a depth and, quite frankly, a realism it might not have without it. I hope I did them justice in my reading, but all of them sound very different from the narrative style of the story events. 
These deviations from the main storyline also can serve the purpose of being an exposition dump without it feeling like an exposition dump. For example, the clips from the podcast explaining the culture of the black and white proms in Springville could probably be included in the main narrative voice, but it wouldn't have been nearly as engaging. If hindsight is twenty twenty, the reader is jumping into the future to get an understanding of the current storyline they are reading. It also elevates the main narrative. We aren't done reading the story yet, but we know whatever happened, just happened, or is about to happen is big and mysterious enough to inspire newspaper articles, a book, and a podcast. Maddie did it. Episode 2 continued. Tanya. So explain this whole prom situation to me, because I just can't fathom it. Michael. Okay, so it's like this. Up until that year, seniors at Springville High hosted segregated proms, known as the white prom and the black prom. The black prom was really for all POC and LGBTQIA plus students. Tanya. I thought segregation in America ended in the 60s. Michael. Technically, yes. Tanya. Then how was this even legal? Michael, well, since their prom wasn't a school-sanctioned event and was held privately off-campus within the respective communities, it technically didn't fall under federal or state purview. Tanya, ah, Americans in their loopholes. Michael, Springville High hasn't hosted a prom since 1964, one year before the school integrated. Over the years, parents and students chose to uphold the tradition. The white prom was held at the Springville Country Club, which used to be an old train station made of all this French marble and stained glass windows. The black prom was held at the barn, a renovated old farmhouse typically used for community plays or church concerts. And you're never going to believe this. The proms were within walking distance of one another, about the length of a football field. There were times when some of the white students, after they were done with their prom, would sneak over to the black prom because they, quote, had the better music. Tanya, could black kids go to the white prom? Michael, of course not. They wouldn't even be allowed through the gates. Tanya, and they weren't the least bit mortified that people would see them doing something so blatantly racist in the 21st century? Michael, they were a small southern town. Until that video surfaced and put a spotlight on their school, no one would have known. Sad part is, they weren't the only town hosting segregated proms, and the tradition still goes on to this very day. Pages 69 to 70. May 19th, 2014. Your bloodline was marinated in rage. There will be a pain in carrying this dark secret, a pain you must endure for others and for yourself. This sickly power you hold without hands will eventually burn until you no longer can hide it. You must learn to control it, or it will control you. But be not a doormat. You can ease the pain by leaving all that you know. Become so drunk on life and love that it blinds you to the hate threatening to drown you. Chew on grief for breakfast, devour aches for lunch, inhale life's acid, let it burn the costume he has forced upon you. Page 126. 
From David Portman's Springville Massacre, The Legend of Maddie Washington, page 220. It was tradition that the outgoing seniors of Springville High converged into a caravan downtown on the way to their respective dances. The townspeople would line the Main Street parade route in lawn chairs to catch glimpses of the partygoers in their fine gowns and tuxedos. Students would blast music, waving from cars and limo rentals, pausing to take dozens of pictures that flooded social media feeds. No one knew it would be the last time that most of them would be seen alive, and the students had no clue they were participating in their own funeral processions as they headed to prom. Page 292. So why should you try out epistolaries in your writing? Besides the benefits I listed earlier, it will stretch you as a writer, especially if you are writing a first-person narrative. 250-plus pages of just that one character's voice can entrap you. I'm currently writing a young adult vampire novel. My main character's maker has been around since the antebellum. This van is steeped in history. I could try to figure out how to add his historical adventures through exposition or character conversation, or I can insert scenes where my main character researches him or snoops in his museum, because of course he runs a museum, and finds articles and clippings that are epistolary in my novel. So try it out, even if it's just to take a break from the voice that you've been writing in or finding a creative way to insert some exposition that's important to the plot but would otherwise slow down the action. Let me know how it goes right into the show. I'd love to hear from you. And why should you use it in your classroom? Well, do you work in one of those schools that requires new bulletin board displays each month? You know, one on the outside and inside the classroom? I'm going to be honest. I love literature. I love teaching. I hated making bulletin boards. I understood the philosophy behind it, but once we got into the weeds of standards-based this and that and has to have feedback and yada, 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 I just needed to find fun things that would look good on a bulletin board without taking away from the curriculum that I needed to get through. Epistolary projects can be one of them. So you're reading a novel in your class. Use excerpts from The Weight of Blood that show how epistolary is used. Then have them write their own based on the novel you are reading together or their independent reading novels. This activity asks students to do a lot of analysis of the text. What events in this novel is important enough to require a news report? What type of person might investigate and create a podcast about this novel? If this book was a true story, what would historians write about it? After they are done, use coffee grounds and water to age the paper, and you have a bulletin board display that is related to your content and looks pretty cool. So that concludes our discussion of The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. I hope you enjoyed this book as much as I did, and I hope that you can use it to inspire activities in your classroom or your own writing. We'll take a brief break and then I'll be back to announce January's book club pick. And I have a feeling you guys are going to be really excited about it. Hey guys, 
Can I just sing the praises of Glow Melanin to you again? First of all, this is a black woman-owned business that makes products specifically for melanated skin, skin which is more prone to hyperpigmentation and dryness. Glow Melanin has exfoliating scrubs, body washes, body oils, and bar soaps, all made with our skin types in mind. Head on over to GlowMelanin.com, that's G-L-O-Melanin.com, and right now, my listeners can get a 15% off discount when they use the code TAHIMA75457, that's T-E-H-Y-M-A-75457 at GlowMelanin.com, and get on your way to healthy, glowing skin. Okay. January's book is going to be Cursed by Marissa Meyer. That's right. The sequel to Gilded came out. And I mean, I've been waiting for this book since we finished talking about Gilded this summer. I pre-ordered the book and I got it the day it came out back in November. But we've already discussed November and December have been a blur. So no need to go back there. But January, we will finally see how this thing wraps up. I checked my notes for all of our cliffhangers, and we've got a few lingering questions this book needs to answer. First of all, her parents. Will Ghost Papa make an appearance? Will she find her mother? I personally believe one or both of them need to pop back up for us. What do the tapestries mean? Do they play a part in Guild's story and the curse he is under? Will the Elder King find out about Sorelda and Guild? And, like, what will that lead to? There is so much that could be happening, and this book does not look short it's actually quite thick i'm gonna start reading it as soon as i stop recording um also i just want to know how does the original rumpelstiltskin fairy tale play out in this story so so far we've already seen the two knights of gold spinning in the original story it was to help the girl win the prince in this one it was it kind of led to her being trapped in a marriage to the Earl King. Uh, in the original story, Rumpelstiltskin comes back to claim his payment of her firstborn child. In this story, Guild is the father. Does he come back looking to take his child? Like I, <sighs> The book jacket also hits at a new mystery. So let's read that. The heart-pounding sequel to the number one New York Times bestseller, Gilded. Before the endless moon, when the Earl King means to capture one of the seven gods and make a wish to return his lover, Perchta, from the underworld, Sorilda and Gild attempt to break the curses that tether their spirits to Aldehyde's haunted castle. But it soon becomes clear that the Earl King's hunger for vengeance won't be satisfied with a single wish, and his true intentions have the power to alter the mortal realm forever. Sorilda and Guild must try to thwart his wicked plans, all while solving the mystery of Guild's forgotten name, freeing the ghosts kept in servitude to the Dark Ones, and trying to protect their unborn child. Romance, danger, and Sorilda's journey to find her power as a woman, a mother, and a storyteller make this reimagining of Rumpelstiltskin one that Myers fans, old and new, will treasure. I'm so looking forward to reading this. This is our book for January. Pick it up. Read with me right into the show. I'd love to hear from you. And I will be right back to say goodbye.
once again, and as always, for spending time with me. I am recording and posting this on New Year's Eve, and I can't help but look back on 2022. As a matter of fact, my next episode will be a special look back on this show that I started this year. I hope that you all can look back on your accomplishments and growth this year with a smile and toast to a fantastic 2023. As always, you can support the show by following on social media at LiveLitPodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Please write in to livingliteratelypodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or your own two cents on any of the books I've covered. I'll include you in the next episode. Please rate, review, and share wherever you are listening. I really do appreciate it. Word of mouth is the best advertisement. Check out the show notes for links to all my platforms and our affiliate sponsor. I hope you had a happy holiday season, and I wish you a happy new year. And until next time, go out and live. Literally. Literally.